morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Baer's Moving Markets podcast. It's Tuesday, the 28th of March, and my name is Helen Freer. On today's show, I'm joined by our chief economist, David Cole, and also by Manuel Villegas, who will be giving us an update on digital assets. For a more in-depth conversation on digital assets, do check out our latest Beyond Markets podcast episode, which we published yesterday, where Manuel is joined by Alexander Ruchti, and they have a chat with my colleague Bernadette Anderko about what the recent market turmoil means for digital assets. But let me start us off now with a quick roundup of the latest market news. So I think there were signs of investors trying to move on from the regional banking crisis yesterday. We got news that the US authorities were considering expanding the emergency lending program for banks, and this would give First Republic more time to shore up its liquidity. So on this news of the prospect of further support from authorities, stocks in the US at least started off well, but then they paired some of the gains. The Dow Jones did finish in positive territory, though. The S&P 500 index closed the day just slightly in the green, while the Nasdaq Composite closed half a percent down. Regional banks were broadly up yesterday, and First Republic surged 11.8%. Energy was the best performing sector within the S&P and telecommunications was the worst performer. And earlier on in Europe, all the major indices ended the day firmly in the green. Swiss equities were actually the best performers, though. The SMI closed up 1.4%. Looking at treasuries then, yields were falling yesterday. In overnight trading, though, they were rising for the first time in four days. The 10-year yield is currently at around 3.5%. And the two-year yield, after surging 23 basis points yesterday, came back below the 4% level, although just a few minutes ago, they've risen back above 4% again. Oil rallied yesterday, gaining around 5%, and this was the biggest rally in a single day since October, on the back of disruption to supply from Turkey, which added to easing concerns over the banking crisis. And in the UK, according to the British Retail Consortium, prices in UK stores rose at the highest rate ever this month, with shop price inflation coming in at 8.9%. Staying in the UK, the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey has suggested that they won't lift rates back to the levels that we had before the financial crisis, perhaps a hint that the Bank of England might be close to the end of their series of rate hikes. In terms of economic data today, US wholesale inventories figures are due, and France business and manufacturing confidence and Italy consumer and manufacturing confidence figures are due out during the morning. In Asia this morning, the CSI 300 was slightly down, the Nikkei was slightly up, and the Hang Seng was leading up 1.4% a few minutes ago. And as people are worrying a little bit less about the health of the banking sector, European and US futures were all up when I looked a few moments ago, suggesting a positive start to the day. So I'll stop there, but I'll bring you in at this point, David. So thanks for joining us on the show today. I want to start by just asking you what you consider to be the most important factor driving the economy this year. Good morning, Helen. So, um, yeah, when looking uh, at the economy at the beginning of this year, we already um, looked very much on the steep uh, normalization of interest rates, and that's happened last year. And um, as financial markets had been affected already last year, this year, uh, it will definitely play a big, big role for economic activity. And finally, then also at one point for inflation. And it's important here to keep the sequence uh, of events in mind uh, when looking at the 
impact on economic activity. Usually tighter monetary policy, this works via tighter credit condition, then something happens on the credit channel side, and then it will at the end affect uh, economic demand. So where do we stand here uh, with this sequence of events? Uh, we have to say that we have seen already that now at least some banks uh, run into trouble, that the credit channel is getting uh, less uh, supportive for economic activity. Uh, and this continues basically to, to have a big, big influence on the economic growth. And this is in particular true for the US, uh, but also for the Eurozone. And how have the recent regional US banking crises and the fall of Credit Suisse here in Switzerland impacted the economic outlook? In this respect, in the big picture, these two events probably fit very much into tighter credit condition, tighter banking environment. At the same time, of course, every like single crisis or failure of a bank has their specialties, has their unique features. This is true for Credit Suisse. Uh, this is also true for Silicon Valley Bank. It, at the same time, it, 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 it shows basically that monetary policy has its effect already on economic activity. And this had been very much in contrast to previous comments from um, monetary policy actors, so from central bankers, which have given the impression that there's much more work to do when simply looking at monetary policy as it is right now. Is it restrictive? And the resulting inflation rate, we have not seen the uh, desired effects on the inflation rate. Uh, so now the recent uh, regional U.S. banking crisis, but also the fall of creditors, is probably a reminder that monetary policy is already biting, is already having their effects. It's the first phase, basically, of its effect uh, on inflation, finally. But it starts always with the credit channel and then goes to the demand channel and then finally on the inflation rate. So are we seeing that the policy decisions are already having an impact on economic growth? They do have their impact, and uh, I think what's even more important to stress here uh, that uh, we need to acknowledge, and uh, probably central banks are also starting to acknowledge, that we have reached already now a restrictive stance of monetary policy. This is true for the U.S., this is true for the Bank of England, so in the U.K., uh, this is true also for the ECB uh, in the Eurozone. Switzerland is probably has still a bit more room here to go really into more restrictive territory. But as a matter of fact, all of this uh, monetary policy is now completely different uh, than 12 months ago. It starts to having its effect. Uh, and uh, on economic growth, uh, this will probably uh, take a bit more time. Uh, so we are now in the credit channel phase, basically, of this effect. And on economic growth, we expect uh, the, the strongest impact then to evolve in the second half of this year, maybe only uh, in uh, the beginning of next year, simply because this restrictive monetary policy is hitting economies which are actually in quite good shape, uh, which are actually in qu quite good conditions to digest here, tighter uh, credit conditions. Uh, lots of uh, excess savings are still there from the pandemic. Uh, so this helps, of course, to digest that. But it prolongs also the lag between monetary policy, credit cycle, and then finally economic growth. Okay, great. Thanks very much, David. Good to get your thoughts this morning. Now, the US made its most forceful move yet yesterday to crack down on Binance Holdings, the crypto exchange. The regulator is claiming that Binance and its CEO regularly broke American derivatives rules. 
I'm very happy to have Manuel on the podcast this morning. Thanks for joining us, Manuel. Can we get your thoughts on this story, first of all? Good morning, Helen. So the CFTC, the Commodities Future Trade Commission, issued yesterday a notice against Binance. They actually sued Binance because they were giving access to U.S. customers to derivatives. So derivatives on Ethereum, Bitcoin, and and some of the largest uh, digital assets. And the problem is that allegedly U.S. customers should not access Binance. And they were doing so via VPNs or private networks. So that's the way they they mainly bypassed uh, the sanctions. And, you know, U.S. regulators have had their eyes on crypto for a while. And since the beginning of the year, the Securities Exchange Commission, the SEC, led by Gary Gensler, has made it a key target to increase regulatory scrutiny over the asset class. However, now we have the CFTC, which had labeled cryptos as commodities in 2015 and 2018, stepping in. And and this is mainly a result of last week's uh, White House economic report, just quite lengthy and also included over 30 pages just in digital assets for the first time since the 1950s. So, so that was mainly the key driver behind the CFTC's decision yesterday. And what are the immediate implications of the tougher regulation on the markets? At the moment, the market is falling under a very gray area, as, as it is not exactly easy to say whose regulation or whose jurisdiction is uh, crypto falling under. So as I said before, on 2015, the CFTC labeled cryptos as commodities, and they did it again in the in 2018. The problem is the SEC is labeling cryptos as investment contracts. Actually, most cryptos, they're labeling as investment contracts, and therefore as securities, they're using the Howey test for this. And the problem is that there is no leveled playing field on the matter. And, you know, the SEC also issued last week a wealth notice against Coinbase. You know, and and regulation last week really went forward. Many targets by the SEC, other targets by, by other market authorities in crypto. And the main implication we are seeing right now is that Bitcoin's exchange liquidity, as in market death, is falling low. It's displaying a rather negative picture. And we have a very shallow market death, and this can lead to more drastic price movements and a higher order slippage and probably have a higher volatility. So assets with a broader market death tend to be highly liquid and backed by stronger volumes. And this allows market participants to place large orders without having any sizable impacts on the pricing of assets. What happens is that order slippage is a phenomenon traders experience when the expected price of an order is different from the execution price. Two main reasons this happens are because of rapid changes in the bid to ask spreads and insufficient market depth. So the lack of market depth will likely increase slippage and expose the order book to larger orders, increasing volatility. And as of right now, I can tell you that slippage is close to 40 basis points in Binance for Bitcoin in orders of over 100,000 US dollars. This has been increasing considerably in the past months, all the way up from 20 basis points last year. So the confining actions of US market authorities and the low levels of exchange liquidity across most trading pairs 
will likely set the scene for a rather unsteady market for this uh, asset class, which despite the behemoth year-to-date rally, is likely going to be exposed to a higher volatility. And that's my take. Thanks, Helen. So that's all for today. Thanks again to our speakers this morning. And thank you all for tuning in. Do join us again tomorrow when we'll get a fixed income update from Dario Messi. Have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.